Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Rio. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church on this very first Sunday in April. That's what it is. And don't look now, but two weeks from today is Easter Sunday, the absolute greatest day on the Christian calendar. And according to the research, more people will be in church over the Easter weekend than at any other time of the year. An estimated worldwide attendance of one billion people. Billion with a B. And tell me, why is that? Why is Easter such a big draw? <laughs> Not a trick question. The resurrection of Jesus. Remember that? Uh, that's what happened on Easter. Uh, on Good Friday, Jesus was dead. His followers and the multitudes watched him breathe his last breath, hang his head and die. And they peeled the dead body of Jesus off the cross later on Friday evening, and they laid him in a tomb. The next day on Saturday, a day of darkness and uh, total discouragement, Jesus was still dead. He was as dead as could be. But then on Sunday, Jesus came alive. He came alive again. Check it out. He was dead, but he came alive. And that is the express theme of this April series, to come alive. Can I get you to say that, please? Come alive. One more time. Come alive. Only this month, we're not just going to focus in on the physical resurrection of Jesus. The goal of this series is for each and every one of us to come alive. That's what we want. We want us all to come alive, regardless of where you are on the Christian continuum. For some who have yet to make a full commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and declare his lordship over them, never bowing their knee at the cross, a resurrection experience, which is what we're after, it means salvation for the very first time. For others who might be in a broken or a backslidden condition, a resurrection experience or coming alive means being restored to the place of full fellowship in God. And then still for others who might be in good standing with God, doing everything we know to do to honor and serve Him. A resurrection or come alive experience means that we will increase our passion and our zeal for God. And so again, the come alive concept is for everyone, every single person who walks through the doors of our church this month. And I don't know about you, but even as fired up as I am about my faith these days, I still could use a little extra spiritual revival in my life. Do I have any other takers? All right. Well, that's what we're going after the whole month of April. We want to come alive. All right. As we begin this morning, I'm going to ask you to please turn in your Bible or, in your, or on your mobile device to the Gospel of John, John chapter 11. John, the 11th chapter, records 
the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And you know the story. Lazarus was sick, then he got even sicker, then he died, but then Jesus raised him to life again. And so this morning, I don't want to talk specifically about the resurrection miracle of Lazarus, but I want to focus in a couple, on a couple of other details surrounding this story. Again, it's a very familiar story to most everyone here. Let's begin reading with John chapter 11 and verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same Mary who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. All right, let's pause right here for a moment. And I want you to know in the telling of this story, right off the bat, John wants us to know that Lazarus is from Bethany. Where is he from? He's from Bethany. That's where he lived. And there's a couple of things that you need to know about Bethany. Bethany was a tiny little town about two miles east of Jerusalem, a little less than two miles. And because of its location of two miles, it took about 30 minutes to get there. So Jerusalem to, Beth to Bethany was about a two, uh, about a 30-minute walk. And whenever Jesus was in and around the Jerusalem area, which was often, because his father had him taking care of a lot of business in Jerusalem, so whenever Jesus was in Jerusalem, he always went to visit his good friend Lazarus in Bethany. And Lazarus lived there with his two sisters, Mary and Martha. They were a wealthy family, and they lived in a very big house. And so during the last six days of Jesus' life, the six days prior to his crucifixion, the Bible tells us that Jesus spent the whole day in Jerusalem. He was there teaching and ministering to the people. And then in the evening, he would go to Bethany and spend the night. And where do you think he would go when he went to Bethany? Again, another trick question. I set it up for you. He would go to Lazarus' house. And the reason why he loved to go there is because Lazarus' two sisters, Mary and Martha, always took good care of him. And they fed him, especially Martha. She made a big meal for him every time. And they would do their laundry. And they would put them up for the night. Not only Jesus, but his disciples as well. And so it was pretty uh, great accommodations. I mean, a house big enough to be able to accommodate uh, 13 extra guests. And in addition to meeting the physical needs of Jesus, there was a mutual respect among him and Lazarus and his two sisters. They loved each other. They respected each other. The girls and Lazarus believed in Jesus' ministry. And so Jesus felt very welcome in Bethany. Jesus was comfortable in Bethany. He felt safe in Bethany. And over the years, he grew to love this family very much, and he established a very close relationship with them. In fact, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. As a little boy, he was raised in Nazareth. But as a man during his earthly ministry, he stayed in Bethany. Are you getting the picture here? Uh, are you picking up the emphasis I'm making about Jesus and his associations with Bethany? Because being in Bethany and, and 
staying in Bethany, that's all good and well. But what I want you to keep in mind is that Jerusalem was the holy city. Jerusalem was the place of God's presence. Had been since, since David brought the Ark of the Covenant there. Jerusalem is where the daily sacrifices were made. In the morning and in the evening. Something always taking place there at the temple. Jerusalem was the place where the sacred festivals were held. Three times a year, all the Jewish families made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. If there was one place that Jesus should have been drawn to, one place that Jesus should have spent most of his time in forging relationships, it should have been Jerusalem. And don't get me wrong, he, it's not like he didn't like Jerusalem. Jesus loved Jerusalem. He went there often. He, he ministered to the people who were there. In fact, on one occasion, he, he went to a place near the temple called the Pool of Bethesda, and he healed a man who was lame for 38 years. Another time when he was visiting Jerusalem, as he approached the city, the scripture says he cried, he wept over it. He said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have longed to draw you together and bring you together as a hen does her chicks, a very affectionate term. But he said, you weren't willing. You, you wouldn't allow me to do it. Jesus understood the value and the beauty of Jerusalem. There was no other place any more glorious on earth than Jerusalem. In fact, Psalm 50 describes it as the perfection of beauty. It was an incredible place. The city of God. And yet Jesus refused to hang out there. Jesus refused to spend any personal time in Jerusalem other than what his business was. Any idea why that was? Because in Jerusalem, Jesus was hated and rejected. He wasn't welcome in Jerusalem. The religious leaders didn't want him there. In fact, the scripture comes right out and tells us that the chief priests and the elders of the people and the scribes and the Pharisees and all the religious leaders, they conspired against him in Jerusalem and planned to put him to death. Can you imagine that? Jesus not welcome in Jerusalem? The Son of God not welcome in the city of God? And so what happened is Bethany became his home, not Jerusalem. Bethany became his sanctuary. It was his refuge and his place of safety. In Bethany and not in Jerusalem, that's where Jesus was accepted. And right about now, I can, I can just sense some of you are identifying with what I'm saying, and maybe a few of you are even fighting to hold back the tears. Because in your own homes, among your own family members, where you should have been loved and accepted, you have experienced only rejection and pain. Because of your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and your willingness to embrace the gospel message and take a stand for him, you have come under a ruthless and relentless attack, just like Jesus did. Well, here's a promise right from the lips of Jesus. I mean, this is what Jesus has to say. 
Everyone. How many people? Everyone who has lost or given up brother or sister or father or mother, mother, property or anything else for my sake. If you've given up anything for my sake, you will receive in this life a hundred times as much in return and you will inherit eternal life. So the promise of Jesus, the words of Jesus, basically here's what he says. When you are evicted in Jerusalem, God will lead you to a Bethany. When you are shunned, when you are persecuted in Jerusalem, when Jerusalem wants nothing to do with you, God will always lead you to another place. And in that place, that Bethany, you will find safety and you will find security and you will find your sanctuary. We are not alone, regardless of what takes place in our lives. God is always with us. All right, let's continue reading. John chapter 11, verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, already dead four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. I skipped down to verse 29. And then when Mary heard that Jesus was coming, she got up quickly to meet him as well. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where, Mar- where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Then Jesus wept. So now everyone's crying their eyes out. Finally, verse 36. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. In other words, it was very obvious to everyone that there was a special relationship of love between Lazarus and Jesus. All right. After the girls, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was sick and desperately needing help, Jesus didn't respond right away. That's what the scripture tells us. In fact, Jesus stayed in the exact place where he was when he received that note. He stayed in the same city until Lazarus died. And then a couple of days after Lazarus was already dead, that's when Jesus and his disciples decided to finally make their way back to Bethany. And when Jesus got there, when Jesus showed up, it was right in the middle of a week-long period of mourning and grieving called Shiva, S-H-I-V-A. Now, Shiva is a Hebrew word that literally means seven. And in Bible times, Shiva started on the day after burial, and it continued for seven days. And here's what happened during Shiva. Following the memorial service and the burial, family members and close friends all stayed together, and everyone else went home. And during Shiva, family members became very vulnerable, and they began to talk to one another. And they would express their feelings. They would open their hearts. 
They would tell everyone exactly how they were feeling. And they would discuss their loss and their grief. And in response, they would put themselves in position to receive comfort from those who were there, those who had gathered and stayed behind. This practice of Shiva, it was not optional. It was mandatory. It was required for every Jewish family. And all the families, when they came together, they gave permission to their relatives and their close friends to speak honestly, to talk openly, and to express their condolences, to offer their support and their sympathy, and to just have some family time where they could directly address the loss of their loved one. And again, Shiva took place over a period of seven days, not one day or a day and a half like we do today. You see, the process of Shiva was designed to expedite the natural way that people confront and overcome grief. I'm going to say that again. The design of Shiva, the intention of Shiva, was to expedite the natural way that people deal with death, the way they deal with loss. Shiva encouraged the open expression of sorrow, the venting of hurt and pain over the loss of a loved one. It gave a platform to shed needed tears and to just be able to work some of this grief out of your system. And all of that activity, as difficult as it was to endure, it promoted emotional healing and recovery. And here in John chapter 11, Jesus showed up in Bethany, right in the middle of Shiva. And he did it on purpose. Because he knew that sooner or later, each and every one of us was going to have to deal with deep sorrow and grief. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that in this life, people were going to die, loved ones were going to die that we were going to face tragedies and there were going to be situations in our lives that we would not be able to explain, that would make no sense whatsoever. And he knew that he wasn't going to be there, he wasn't going to be around to bring everyone back from the dead like he did Lazarus. So in the John 11 account, along with the miracle resurrection of Lazarus, not only did Jesus give us hope for the future, and I'm talking about a spiritual resurrection from the dead in the promise of heaven, but he also purposely and intentionally called our attention to the importance of Shiva. He made a big deal about not getting there until after it was already this process of mourning because he wanted us to take note of it. It's a very important process making sure that we acknowledge our grief, making sure that we're honest with ourselves in what's going on in our hearts, and then drawing from God's grace to endure that process. See, oftentimes when someone dies or when we suffer loss of any kind, there's a huge hole in our heart. And it doesn't always go away completely but God's method of healing prevents us from dying on the inside. It helps us so that we can eventually get to a place 
where we are not so overburdened and taxed because of that grief that we've experienced. Now, I want to make one more point regarding this story, and then we're going to share communion together. I want to reread John chapter 11 in the first three verses. We read it just a few moments ago. To start the story off, it says a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same Mary who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And so the sisters, when Lazarus was sick, went sent word to Jesus. The sisters sent a message to Jesus. Here's the message. Lord, the one you love is sick. Lord, the one you love is sick. Who is the one that Jesus loved? It said Lazarus. And not only does this passage come right out and tell us that Jesus loved Lazarus, but when you read the scriptures and you understand the relationship, you'll discover that Jesus had a very close relationship with Lazarus. In fact, it could have been that There was no one outside of the disciples, nobody that was closer to Jesus than Lazarus. They had developed this really great relationship. Now, we know Jesus was love personified. He loved everybody. He had a very special God-ordained love in his heart. When he walked upon situations and he saw people in need, he was moved with compassion and love. He loved his followers, he loved his disciples, he loved people. But there was this very special relationship here that the girls would say, Lord, the one you love is sick. Jesus loved Lazarus. And yet he let him die. Jesus allowed Lazarus to suffer and die. Because after he received the message from the girls that he was very sick, Jesus was in a position to make a beeline right over to Bethany. He would have gotten there before Lazarus had died. He didn't do that. He waited. The scripture tells us on purpose that he waited until after Lazarus died before he made his trip back. And keep in mind when he dealt with the centurion and the centurion's servant was sick, what did Jesus do? He sent a healing word. He just spoke healing and it just went. Jesus could have done that. He didn't go to Bethany. He doesn't send a word of healing. He lets his friend that he loves die. When we have a loved one that dies, when there's someone in our life who dies and we don't understand it, please don't think it's because God doesn't love that person or doesn't love you. Death, even though we don't have all the answers and we don't understand it, it's here to stay. It never was a part of the human plan. God never had that in mind when he created Adam and Eve. But it's here now. And we have to deal with death. But when death happens, we have Shiva. We have a God-ordained gift that helps us to deal with our grief and with our sorrow so that we don't have to carry it around with us. And Jesus wanted us to know there was a bunch of different ways that he could have handled this same account, but he wanted us to know that there is a process whereby we can receive the healing that we need for all of the pain 
and all of the loss and the suffering that we have in this life. Okay, I'm going to ask you to please bow your heads as we prepare for communion. And I'm going to talk for just a few more minutes now, but I, I'm going to encourage you to just close your eyes if you don't mind. And, and listen to me, but instead of just listening with your ears, open your heart. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you to hear maybe something that you couldn't hear any other way unless God revealed it to you. Because, again, our goal is for all of us here to come alive. To maybe experience some life where there's a little bit of dryness and there's a little bit of death and darkness. And in this world, we all have that. Isaiah chapter 53 tells us that Jesus was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. The punishment that brought him us peace was placed upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53 also tells us that Jesus was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And so in addition to the beating that he endured and the crucifixion itself, Jesus also suffered emotional pain. And I'm not exactly sure which is harder to recover from. A physical beating or sorrow and grief. But here's what I do know. There is a lot of pain in this world today. There is so much brokenness and so much suffering. And some people are dying a slow death each and every day because of unresolved grief in their life, pain in their life. It's just eating them up on the inside day in and day out and they just can't get past it can't get past their loss, can't get past their grief, can't get past the brokenness. And I'm talking about, it doesn't have to be a, a, someone dying. There is so much loss, a divorce, a, a relationship that's strained, a, a family that's broken, financial difficulties. There is just a lot of pain in our world today. You know, six years ago, on March the 28th, 2013, my seven-week-old grandson, Anthony Nathaniel, died. And when he died, as you can imagine, I was heartbroken. I was devastated. I mean, this was my grandson, named after my son, named after me. And he's gone. God took him. And because it happened three days before Easter, it was very difficult for me to be in a spiritual condition to preach that Sunday. And so I passed the responsibility on to another minister. In those next couple of days and weeks, I was still in so much pain, grieving so badly over what had happened, that I went to see a pastor friend of mine who I knew had experienced loss as well. And he gave me some advice. He said, Tony, this is something that's really difficult to handle in life. And so I'm going to suggest, I'm going to recommend highly that you take one to three months off from the pulpit and you don't preach for a few weeks and you just allow yourself to heal. Go through the grieving process. 
Draw from God's strength. Take the necessary time. Don't rush it. And I'm sorry to say, I didn't adhere to his advice. I didn't listen to him. In fact, I went right back to work immediately. Said a quick prayer and preached the next Sunday. And after that, whenever the hurts and the pain would surface again, I'd cry if no one was around, and then I'd shove all that pain and all that grief back down in my heart. It's been that way for about six years. And a couple of months ago, in January of this year, during our prayer and fasting time, as I just kind of laid myself out before the Lord, I felt as though the Lord impressed me, and he said, you know what, you never really mourned the death of your grandson, and, in, and because you haven't, you haven't been able to receive any healing. It's still inside of you. And it wasn't like I was mad at God or held God responsible. There wasn't any obvious resentment or bitterness. But I was carrying around some darkness and death in my heart that I just pretty much figured I would have for the rest of my life. And the Lord said, no. You don't have to carry that around. And he led me through a series of events and over the next couple of weeks, I was able to receive some healing. And I don't have that heaviness anymore. I still think about my grandson. Just a couple of days ago, Teresa and I went to the cemetery. We remembered him. But the majority of that pain is gone. And I just think this is what the Holy Spirit of God wants to do for us today as a congregation. He wants to help us with some of these hurts that we've been carrying around. He wants to heal us of some of this pain and this grief and in so doing, allow us to come alive again. To come alive. Not to think this is the way it's always going to be but to receive the grace and the spiritual shiva that God has for us and walk in freedom. Father, I just thank you for what you want to do this morning by the power of your spirit. And I thank you, Lord, that you're giving us permission today to even shed tears if need be and to release some of these things to you. You did not design us to carry this stuff around. And Jesus made it very clear in John chapter 11 that there was a process where we could receive healing and we could recover from the heaviness of loss, from the pain and the sorrow of loss. You went to the cross. You died there for our sins. You died for our sicknesses and all of our pain. But the scripture says you also carried our sorrows and griefs. And we can receive healing because you were rejected. You were hated. There was loss in your life. And you went to the cross so that we could be whole.
And I pray, Lord, during this communion time, as we spend just a couple of moments and receive the communion, remember what you did for us, that a healing flow would take place here among us. You are still the God who heals us. And you are still the God of miracles, just like we sang about earlier. And I pray, Father, for that flow, that rush of supernatural power that would release us, free us, and bring recovery and healing. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's just take the communion and you can receive it in your own way. If there's some things that you need to say to the Lord, if there's a little reflection or prayer that you want to offer to God, go ahead and, and just take about 30 seconds and have this little communion time alone with God. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.